1: Chose
2: to serve your country, and we know you served us well. But now you're back, and it's our duty to keep you safe and home. Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms. We're America, your family, a land of
3: liberty. We're thankful for your sacrifice, You're back to keep us free. We are man. Truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of
1: many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're
2: America, your country, and America wants you.
3: It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition. Your hosts are Gary Ray and Ted Griffin Jr. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here are your hosts, Gary and Ted.
4: Good morning. You don't know how many how many times I say this, but we have to get rid of Ted. Today is May 14th, 2013. I'm Gary Ray along with Linda Crater, president and CEO for veterancaregiver.com. Good morning, Linda.
0: Good morning, Gary Ray.
4: All right. We also have Mr. Bill Forbes with us this morning, former deputy secretary for the Maryland Department of Veterans Affairs and former commander for the Maryland DAV. Good morning, sir.
2: Good morning, Gary. All right. Now
4: I'd like to remind everybody, May is National Military Appreciation Month. The entire American Heroes Network team wants to thank our brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will not be forgotten. Okay? By the way, anytime during our show, we'll be accepting call-ins. So if you have a question for us or our guest, call 866-472-5787. Again, That's 866-472-5787, or if you're too shy to talk on the air, just email that question to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. Our guest today is a licensed independent clinical social worker currently coordinating the Caregiving Support Program at Washington, D.C. Veterans Administration Medical Center. This is a rather new program that started in 2011 under the Obama administration. In this position, she gets to combine her clinical skills along with her administration skills to assist family caregivers in getting the support services they need Mm -hmm. to effectively care for not only themselves, but also the veterans they love. Let's welcome Caregiver Support Coordinator Anita Mingo. Good morning, Anita, and welcome to the American Heroes Network.
5: Hi, good morning, Gary. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Bill. I'm very excited to be here this morning.
4: All right. Anita, you came from a long line of caregivers, so you understand the challenges caregivers face on a daily basis. Tell us a little bit about your background in that area.
5: Well, yes, um, in my family, we have historically always um cared for our our relatives in the home um I can even remember back to my great grandparents they all got to kind of age in place, and our family just makes the sacrifices that's necessary to to keep them to keep us in the home and I'm really excited about that and I have seen the toll it takes on being on being a caregiver, the physical toll, the emotional toll, and the financial toll so I was very excited about this program because I intimately understand the sacrifices that um, the caregivers for our veterans are making.
4: Wow, well, you know, uh, when I first started this program, um, I was there because I was aware of the the physical injuries. Uh, it was Linda actually that uh, made me a little wiser to the invisible injuries and uh, that's something uh I guess they are a, that's a hero in themselves the caregiver. Uh so, you know, I'm glad to have somebody like you on the air with us to to explain to us uh, procedures. I mean, how can somebody get this help, you know, if they need to take care of a loved one?
5: Well, let me just let me just go back a bit. You mentioned how this program <clears throat> came into to place now under the Obama administration. The conversation actually started under the Bush administration. We had a lot of veteran service organizations advocating for veterans and found themselves advocating for caregivers because caregivers were dealing with burnout, burden, and stress. Um, and I'm very excited that the VSOs were charged to bring this before our, you know, public figures to say that we have to start supporting the caregivers. Um, I am the Caregiver Support Coordinator. I'm actually located in Washington, D.C. And um, the main purpose of my role is to make sure that the administration, the facility and providers are aware that we now have to start supporting the caregivers, and we do that in many ways. The program is designed to have us to make two distinctions of caregivers. We have what's called a general caregiver, which is a caregiver of any era veteran, family member, or friend that is providing support to our veterans that don't meet certain criteria that will allow them to be designated as a family caregiver, and I'll go through that in a minute. But what I do is I help with coordination of care for our general caregivers. I make sure they're aware of their the Veterans Primary Care Social Worker for good follow-through, I make sure that the providers are aware that if, with the veteran's consent, that they can communicate to the caregiver directly, especially if we notice a veteran is starting to have cognitive deficits. That's very, very important. To um, just have the caregivers be part of the conversation in caring for the veterans. That's for any era veteran. But if a veteran was discharged from the military on or after 9-11-2001, and has a severe injury or illness as a result of their service and has in their service connected for their injury or illness, they get the designation of primary family caregiver. And that caregiver gets to have me support them with good coordination of care, like I mentioned before. As well as um, I process an application for them to be able to receive a monthly stipend and also make sure they get access to mental health services. The caregivers get access to reimbursement for travel and lodging and a lot of other things I do at our VA as far as support services and um, activities to help address stress and burden.
4: You know, does this, you know, there's a lot of people that have waited 38, 40 years for a program such as this. Would this, this doesn't cover anybody from like the Vietnam era?
5: Absolutely. If, well, yes, it does. Um, okay. it, when I mentioned that um, I help with coordination of care, so you know I help you know that caregiver and the veteran because you know we're mandated to take care of the veterans. But in this program, I take care of both. I help the caregivers if they're having any challenges with providers, challenges navigating our huge you know healthcare system, which I sometimes get swallowed up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I let them know about aid in attendance, which is a financial benefit that goes directly to the veteran to help, you know, pay for any type of care they're receiving in the home as long as the veteran is considered homebound, they They also get access to any type of support activities, social activities that I'm having. So yes, for the Vietnam era or any eras before OEF, OIF, OND, um, we still do have support services for that caregiver as well.
0: You know, Gary, you bring up an interesting point, but I think what is really stellar about these programs is that this represents an enormous paradigm shift for the VA. Previous to this, really the focus had been on the veteran and usually just the veteran alone with some ancillary services for the family. With this shift, there's a recognition and affirmation of the vital role that caregivers play in the continuum of care. So this is a huge shift for the VA itself.
4: Mm-hmm. You know that surprised me. The reason I brought that up is because uh, about two, three months ago, I met a young man. Oh well, he's from the Vietnam era, <laughs> uh, but I met him, and you know, within the first five minutes I was talking to him, I could tell him that you know for the last thirty-eight, forty years he's been fighting with himself, uh, and and he doesn't want to go for any help. Uh, this is the bummer part of it. Uh, you know, I, I, now I see him on a, on a weekly basis, and, and uh, it's, it's a little bit disappointing because I can't aim at him or anybody else to help him, uh, and he does definitely need help. Um, you know, His wife's aware of it. Um, in fact, they come to the office probably once a week, and um, uh, it just surprises me that you know, they're not attempting to do anything for him.
5: Well, you know, if his wife, if he, if the veteran is resistant to care, um, kind of, it kind of leaves us in a, in a weird space because we cannot, you know, um, force care on anyone. That's correct. But, um, the caregiver, the caregiver can still get access to support, even if the veteran is not enrolled in care. The caregiver can still get access to support, you know, um, like I said, a lot of us coordinators, we do social activities, um, the central office um, Veterans Caregiver Support Program. We have monthly calls, two and three monthly calls. That caregiver can still get access to support. Um, so we don't want a caregiver, even if a veteran at, is resistant to support, to feel like they still cannot get support. They can still get support as the caregiver um, as long as we can confirm a the person as a veteran as much as we can, then we will support that caregiver. Um, it's just that obviously we'll have limitations on it um, if the veterans not enrolled for care. But as far as like you know, helping with stress and burden and support groups and things like that, we can still offer support to that caregiver.
2: Right, wow. Gary. Gary, I I'd just like to say that you know this uh, caregiver service program is so important in light of the fact that uh many of our recent serving uh service people in the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan uh wars uh now uh come from the rural and remote areas as opposed to being in the sur- suburban and uh, urban areas in the past it is so important that the family uh, in, in this case uh, where the caregivers is so important because you know, they have made a sacrifice when these individuals were away uh, on the battlefield in combat and now to come back to home and community uh, uh, that uh, they've got issues uh, in terms of the scars that they've attained uh, as a result of their service. And to have these individuals uh, in the family where they're right at home, where transportation, whatever it might be in terms of a challenge to get to a VA facility, to have these individuals in the family to take on this responsibility. I think it's remarkable, and uh, we need to thank those members in the family who are providing this caregiver service for their sacrifice
5: again. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that, totally. You know, one of the big... goals with this program is that we want to reduce institutionalization of our veterans. That's, the, that's one of the big goals, so we feel that if we can support the veteran in the home through supporting the caregiver, then the veteran has a, a better chance of not having to be institutionalized. Of course, nothing is absolute, but what we are finding just in the two short years we've been around is that the veterans have been staying in the home as much as possible, and that's, that's really one of the ultimate goals. We want to have the veterans stay in the home, be careful, family and friends, people that they trust and that love them, and but make sure that person feels supported because, yes, we do have those injuries that you can see, but then we have a lot of veterans, you know, from, you know, Korea on up to this new era that have the injuries that you can't see. and. Um, And I'm very excited that the program is focusing in on those unseen injuries um, because I find that the caregivers who are caring for those veterans do need a lot of support. And um, we make sure that they get access to the support that can help them to just continue to do it on a daily basis.
0: Right.
4: All right. It's that time. We're going to take a short break. Be sure to check out our mobile sponsor, First Class Merchant Services. This family-run business can actually save you money with their merchant services. If you have a business that uses an account, give Josh a call at First Class Merchant Services at 407 That's 407 407- 4010772. They also offer veteran discounts for their services. I'm Gary Ray along with Linda Crater, Bill Forbes, and our guest, Anita Mingo. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, and we'll be right back.
0: out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
3: American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Surprise you! Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voice America.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network. At gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back. We're here with Anita Mingo, um, and we have a caller on the line. <laughs> Kevin, do we have that caller? Okay. Hello. Hello. Who am I, who am I speaking with? Uh,
1: my name is Richard. Richard Hertz. And, uh, I have a question. I have a, a buddy who came, who's back from, uh, overseas and is, his mother thinks he might have a problem, but, uh, wh- wh- who should they call first? I mean, what should she do? Who should she get in contact with if he is not sure and she thinks he needs help?
5: I would, I would love to answer that question. Hi, my name is Anita. I'm a Caregiver Support Coordinator. And what is your name again, caller?
1: Richard, Richard Hertz.
5: Hi, Richard. Thanks so much for calling. One of the first things I would advise his mom to do is if she is able to take him to the local VA hospital, if he's not already enrolled for health care to get him enrolled so that he can be start to be seen by some medical providers. Um,
1: the enrollment right. process has a problem is very... getting there, though.
5: I'm sorry?
1: He has a problem getting there, though. Do they have rides that can get you to the hospitals?
5: Well, um, if he's not, if he's not enrolled yet we're kind of limited there's no there's no there's no one a friend or family that can kind of just can get him there where is he located oh uh,
1: he he's located in Florida in
5: Florida um what part of Florida is I maybe able to get a coordinator in contact with his mother what part of Florida
1: uh central central
5: mm-hmm. okay well Gary if you if you like me I could you know provide some more information to to Richard offline um that may be connecting with the local coordinator to the VA that's closest to that family. Sure. To see how that coordinator can assist.
4: What you could do, uh, you could go ahead and email at any you know questions or your contact information to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com, and I'll get that information to Anita.
1: That'd be real good. Okay. Yeah, because he needs help, and his mother really is confused, and she just needs to call and if she calls the VA you know they kind of run it around because it's a big big company I guess mm-hmm. and uh it's, it's hard to find the right people to get a hold of
5: absolutely but, I'll but be more
1: I'll than happy I'll, to help I'll, you I'll send that in what was oh. that I'll, I'll send that in I'll send the information in okay good good
4: well we appreciate your call did okay. we answer the question for you
1: uh, Pretty much, but uh, I really would like a number or something, you know, uh, but we'll work on that. But that's the hard part is finding out who to, who to contact first.
4: They would have to go through their local uh, uh, VA, correct there, Anita?
5: Yes, but what I will do, okay. um, Richard, if you email um, some more detailed information like where they're located exactly and I can help, or if you know the local VA for them, I can provide you my counterpart, the caregiver support coordinator, there, and and also alert that coordinator that you all might be calling so that um, you can have that one person to contact to kind of walk her through the process. Okay.
1: All right, that's good. Okay. Well, all thank right.
5: you, sir. Good.
0: Anita, right. that's a perfect lead-in to how does someone access and apply to be in touch with a caregiver support coordinator
5: at the VA. Okay. So there's a couple of ways you can do it. Um, We do have a a caregiver support hotline number, which is, um, I would say that if someone is really unsure exactly where they go or who to contact, if they were to call this number, 585-393-8015, that is our caregiver support hotline, Um, one of the... um, clinical providers would give them the name and direct phone number to the local caregiver support coordinator that would service where they're located. That is really one of the best ways if you're coming in from the outside, having not been enrolled into the healthcare system. That coordinator can help the, the veteran get enrolled and start getting access to care. If the veterans already enrolled in the VHA healthcare system, then at that point what I would advise that they do is they go to the social work services department. Most of us coordinators are social workers or either nurses, and um, the social work service department would be able to direct them to um, the caregiver support coordinator. And from there, you know, it can be determined who actually would be the best contact for the services that they're requiring.
4: Anita, could you give us that
5: number again? Sure. It is the caregiver support hotline number. It is 585-393-8015.
4: All right. All right. Now, uh, you had something of a four-step process. Is that, again, part of it?
5: Yeah. One of the things... one of the things I wanted to share is that, as I previously mentioned, there were two designation of caregivers that we give. One of them was the um, family caregiver. And the family caregiver, um, in order to get that designation, first they meet the administrative criteria, which is released from the military on or after 9-11-2001 and have a service connector injury or illness as a result of their service. If they meet that criteria, we actually complete an application specific to the program called a 1010CG, CG CG meaning caregiver. Once the coordinator receives that, there are four steps before the caregiver is approved. The first step is the veteran has to go through a clinical assessment to determine clinical eligibility by a medical provider. And in that assessment, the providers are assessing um, activities of daily living, and the requirement for supervision from a caregiver. And based on the assessment, there is some scoring. And that scoring will let us know approximately what tier level of stipend at that point the caregiver may be eligible for. After the assessment, the caregiver support coordinator does an assessment of the caregiver, and then that assessment gives us a great opportunity to determine what additional support services do they have that helps them in the home, you know, what have been some of their greatest challenges, what have been some of their greatest successes, what kinds of needs have they identified. And we also just like to get a general idea of how is it going in the home, how is it working. And we're also in that assessment, we assess for stress and burden of the caregiver. And that lets us know some of the things that we can start recommending to the caregiver even before the application process is concluded. And... um, we also just have them certify yes or no to some statements as required by the program. That is step number three. Step number four, it's actually five steps, excuse me. Step number four mm-hmm. is the caregiver training. Easter Seals is the agency that developed our curriculum for the caregiver training and they manage that for us. So as coordinators, once we've completed the caregiver assessment, we refer them to, for training. They have three modes that they can complete the training in. One is to do it online, one is to receive a workbook in the home, the other is to participate in classroom-style training over two days. After the training is completed, Easter Seals notifies the coordinators, and the final step is the home visit. Our home visits are supportive home visits. The home visit, the purpose is to kind of bring all of the information we've gathered together, the clinical assessment of the veteran, the assessment of the caregiver in the caregiver training. Nurses go out to do our initial home visits. And they're going out to just make sure there are any questions you may have about the training. Um, We notice certain things about the clinical assessment. Let's just say they notice the veteran has mobility challenges. They check to see if the home is safe, does it need some special adaptations or modifications such as grab bars, does it need equipment such as a bathroom chair, a shower chair, and the like. After the home visit is complete, if everything looks good, meaning that based on the clinical eligibility assessment, everything is consistent, then the caregiver is approved and, um, and that process can take 45 days. Um, we, try to, we try to do it within that 45 days but there are some things that are out of our control. For example, how soon does the caregiver complete the training? We encourage them to try to complete it within two weeks so that we can get them approved and have them get access to some of the the greater benefits that they're eligible for as the primary family caregiver.
0: Excellent. I wanted to mention the website where people can go to find the information as well. And they can access what Anita is talking about with other great detail that I'm sure she'll share with us as well at www.caregiver.va.gov.
5: Absolutely.
4: All right, they can pick up all the information on that site, correct?
5: Yes, they they can definitely get access to the application and some of the other programs that we're offering under the caregiver program. One other thing I wanted to mention, because this program focuses a lot on self-care for the caregiver, we also offer health insurance for the caregiver if they do not have it. If the caregiver Um, mentions on the application that they do not have health insurance. We will provide that for them because we want to make sure the caregivers are going to their medical providers and taking care of their health just as much as they are helping the veteran take care of theirs.
4: All right. Well, we're going to take a short break again. Boy, time's flying, isn't it? (laughs) To to learn more about American Heroes Network, go to our mobile site where you can actually listen to all the archive shows right on your phone. Just go to hero.ub.com the number one dot co we'll be right back with our guest caregiver support uh, coordinator anita mango you're listening to the american heroes network provided by voice of uh, voice america on the variety channel we'll be right back Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television?
2: Let us surprise you.
4: Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24 7.
3: American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back. And uh, during the break, I gather that we had another question come up. Uh, Linda, you got a question?
0: Sure. Um, it, it's a known quantity that large bureaucracies, sometimes there are waiting times. And I know that there are additional services that are available to caregivers when sometimes it takes a while to obtain the appointments that are needed, etc. Anita, what are the key navigation points for caregivers Um, Who are attending? I'll put it in this case to primarily invisible injuries because sometimes those are the longest appointments, um, where the long waiting times may exist. What are the services that are offered to the caregivers during that time period?
5: Well, if a if a if a veteran finds that they are they have a a, a significant amount of time between having a a mental health appointment, um, well, two things. Most most first thing, most mental health clinics have walk-ins. And a lot of times caregivers and veterans don't know that, that almost any clinic on the, on the primary health side and on the mental health side has walk-in access. Does that mean that you potentially have to wait? Yes, it does. But I know of a lot of veterans here in Washington, D.C. that will come in and sit and rather wait than to have to wait two months to Agreed. be seen. So first thing I would just, just want to just share that, that, you know, you can always go in as a walk-in to get services faster if you find that you're really, really in need of services. I really want caregivers to just understand, just bring the veteran down, let them know you want to come and see the next available provider and they're obligated to, to, to squeeze you in. I ask that one of the best practices is that you try to get there between 8 and 9.30 in the morning. You have a much better chance of being seen in a reasonable amount of time. Most clinics close between 3.30 and 4, so coming at 3 might not be the best idea. Mm-hmm. So first of all, walk-ins if you really find you're in a situation where you need to get, get care or follow-up much more, much quicker than an appointment that's scheduled, you know, a month or so out. The second thing is that to really help with caregivers is that we have a respite care program. And respite care is a, is a program that's offered nationally in the VA community and, and in just in the regular civilian community. And respite is a service that provides um, a break for the caregiver. How we do it is we have contracts with community agencies that provide that provide home health aid services. So respite is basically an aide coming into the home to assist the caregiver, um, you know, on a certain amount of time. If the veteran Is in the caregiver support program, that caregiver gets access to a minimum of 30 respite days a calendar year, and that's if this caregiver is a family caregiver. If the caregiver is a general caregiver, the veteran gets gets access to a maximum of 30 days a calendar year. So they only get 30 days a calendar year, but 30 days is a lot when you're thinking about having somebody come into the home, you know, you know, once a month or you know, twice a month for a period of time to help you do light keeping, laundry, run errands, if the veteran requires more hands-on care, assisting with that. So the caregiver can, can take a break, maybe go to the doctor, you know, go have a spa day, read a book. Our caregivers get very creative, do some gardening with no interruption. So I really encourage, you know, caregivers to take advantage of the respite. This is for all caregivers. Take advantage of the respite care program. We do also have another program called the Home Health Aid Program, very similar to Respite, but the difference is that instead of being a maximum of 30 calendar days or in the case of the primary family Caregiver really again, a minimum, this program is designed to provide a certain amount of hours per week. So, and every VA is different. Mm-hmm. So, for example, at our VA, we can provide anywhere from six hours to 20 hours a week. There's an assessment that goes with that. Every Veteran will not get 20 hours. Every Veteran won't get six hours. There's an assessment where we determine the amount of service the Veterans require based on their need. And I do have quite a few caregivers in the program here that do use the Home Health Aid Program. And you know, typically in Home Health Aid, again, it's helping to support around the activities of daily living. the um, instrumental activities of daily living um, provide supervision and those types of things. and they offer some relief for the caregiver. and the caregiver can choose to stay in the home. I do encourage the caregiver after they're comfortable with the aid to please leave the home because we do find that you know, a lot of times the veterans um, will continue to call on the caregiver because that's just where their comfort is. Um, But if the caregivers are comfortable with leaving the home, I encourage them to do so and just do something just for themselves so they can, you know, kind of rejuvenate and replenish.
0: Anita, you make an excellent point because they do need to leave the home. What do you do, however, when it's the veteran who is untrusting of the person coming from outside? Um, In other words, they are resistant to having respite care. Often caregivers will say that they would love to take advantage of it, but the, quote, toll on them is harder because their veteran is not happy with that. How do you try and work through those kinds of communication and trust issues?
5: That is a great question, Linda, because we do find um, that to be the case um, in quite a few of our veterans, and we're completely understanding and empathetic to that. Um, <clears throat> having someone come into the home who they don't know, who they're going to entrust their well-being into takes it takes it take it can take a lot. So what I always encourage the caregiver to do is that to see if the veteran will be willing to do it on a trial basis. Sometimes I will do a a joint conference call with the veteran and caregiver, or I'll do a joint meeting, and try to just you know mention to the veteran if they're if they're able to really understand what I'm communicating. the the importance for the caregiver to have some time. So that the caregiver can can you know go come back and feel refreshed. It doesn't it doesn't always work, Linda. But a lot of times I find that if if just just bringing the veteran into the process, right. A lot of times what happens is these services are managed through the caregiver, and the veteran may feel like, well, I didn't have a choice in the matter. Well, if we have a situation where the veteran is a little you know untrusting, then we bring the veteran into the decision making process. And allow them to, you know, be, be have access to the planning, the organizing of the service. And in those cases, I do ask the caregiver to to, to stay around in the orienting period,
1: mm-hmm.
5: and to see how that goes. And you know, it, you know, I sh- I can say that you know more times than not it eventually works because the veterans just kind of settles in and say, okay, this is what I'll allow this person to do. But it doesn't always work. Um, and in cases where it doesn't always work, then we and then I ask the caregiver, let's just see if we can find a family, a friend, you know. Um, just just find another way for the caregiver to get a break. Um, There are some cases where it's just really, really hard, and we we keep trying to find creative ways to do it. We don't ever just give up and say, okay, there's nothing we can provide. We just have to keep reaching out to the community to find creative ways. There are veteran service organizations that offer all kinds of creative respite, and so we, you know, part of um, our responsibility as a caregiver support coordinator is to do outreach to find out how the community can support this program. And so sometimes we have to go to our partners in the community to try to find creative ways, maybe something more of like companion care, fishing, you know, kayaking, something where the veteran is gone for a period of time and the caregiver is able to relax during that period.
0: Great answer. Okay. Perfect. Uh, in the beginning, you mentioned about the coordination of care. There's often um, a, a learning curve to okay. knowing how the caregiver fits into the coordination of care for the veteran, mm-hmm. or their own care for that matter. Perhaps you could speak a bit about how, uh, or what limits um, there are for the caregiver to help participate
5: in that um, comprehensive care plan. Okay. So, if the veteran, if the caregiver is a primary family caregiver. One of the first things we have to have from the caregiver is a release of information form signed by the veteran. And we like for the language to be, but we cannot, you know, say exactly what they can put in there. But we, we do help the veteran understand that we see the caregiver as part of the care team, like myself, like their primary care provider and the like. And so the caregiver must have full access to medical information. That is one of the things that actually is a requirement. And I've had cases where the veteran is just like, well, no, I don't want the caregiver to have access to my information. And in cases like that, then the caregiver cannot be a primary family caregiver. And this is the reason. It's because we need to be able to speak freely to the caregiver about ways to support the veteran. And, and some of the ways, and some, and what we need to be able to do is to talk about appointments, you know, medical conditions, treatment. We need to be able to have, you know, be able to speak freely about that, and that release of information form allows us to do that. So, if the veteran has consented to the release of information form, then that caregiver has that document. And this is what I tell them: is that when they come down, because you know, you know, it still takes a while to have all the providers to to see this as a program that that a non-veteran can have, guess kind of like access to information because of HIPAA. You know, we're still bound by HIPAA. And I tell them, you bring that document with you, and you just let providers know that this is your role and this is what you have access to. And and if they have that document, I have not found one case yet here where they have not spoke freely to the caregiver. Because, you know, in reality, we do have to acknowledge that the caregivers help us a lot, They help us. They help us. They help us make sure the veterans taking their medication, the veterans are coming for their appointments, the veterans engaged in treatment. So it's really to our benefit to partner with the caregivers, because they actually help us to continue to provide service for the veteran, which is why we're here. So that release of information document allows them to have access. But another thing we do as coordinators, we do lots of what we call end services here in, in, in the facility level because we have to continue to have this conversation about how in this program the caregivers are like part of the care team, they're part of the interdisciplinary team, and um, therefore that means they have access to information about the veteran.
0: Excellent. Right.
5: Uh, there,
0: there have been some questions asked um, when someone is caring for a grievously injured um, veteran as opposed to um, more manageable daily uh, activities of daily living that can be managed with the help of the caregiver. The training that is provided uh, that provides an overview of caregiving, are there any plans to augment the training for preparing and supporting those who have grievously injured or ill veterans?
5: Mm, Give me an example. I'm not sure exactly what you're speaking about.
0: Okay. Uh, The caregiver training that exists currently is have basic overviews of PTSD, TBI, um, limb, uh, and, and wound care, things like that. Occasionally there are a subset of veterans who require more specialized
5: care. Uh-huh. And is there augmentation of training for those caregivers? Okay, thank you for clarifying that, Linda. Yes, there is, and that is something that's done between the caregiver and the provider. Um, if we find that a caregiver, for example, we have you know caregivers who do bowel and bladder care,
0: uh,
5: we have caregivers who do bowel and bladder care or are interested in doing bowel and bladder care and we will have the provider do a special training for them so they are able to do the bowel and bladder care or they might have to cast the veteran we will have them have access to training through a medical provider. Or they might be looking in looking at more, you know, creative behavior modification techniques for the veteran. And so this is when we have the the caregiver team up with the medical providers to get those tips and resources and trainings that are required. That's one way. But then you know we also, like I said, the partnership with the community. We have a lot of veteran service organizations or medical organizations Medical providing organizations who do a lot of training and so I'll get all kinds of emails or alerts about specific trainings and I will inquire is this something that caregivers can participate in and if it is then I will send out a blast email saying hey maybe if you meet this criteria meaning that you provide this kind of service you might be interested in this so as caregivers we're always looking for more education support activities for the veterans but we like to make sure that they can get as much as they can from our facility. Because remember, the more that they're able to do comfortably and feel supported by us, it helps us in caring for the veteran.
4: Right. Well, it's break time again. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda Crater, Bill Forbes, and our guest, Anita Mingo. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, and we'll be right back.
1: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be.
3: Listen anywhere.
1: Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
3: American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back. We're here with Anita Mingo. And uh, during our break, uh, Bill came up with a pretty good question. Go ahead, Bill.
2: Well, uh, uh, Anita, I, I've, I've looked at a, a, some information from uh, a survey conducted by the National Alliance for Caregivers, who are caring for veterans from the combat areas dating back from World War II and in, in the more recent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, that's showing that overwhelmingly the majority of the caregivers are women. Uh, twice as many veterans caregivers said they have been uh, caregiving for 10 years or more. Uh, 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 about uh, 75% of these individuals are spending 40 hours a week uh, providing uh, caregiving also that uh, in in the age range there are A great majority of them are 50 years of age and one including who is 65 years of uh, of age. So it it seems like the the, the, the great majority here are women who are providing these services and the the time that's spent there. Uh, uh, Just taking a look at that and one other thing in terms of is there anything in place now in terms of expanding this service uh, uh, uh beyond the uh, those for the Iraq and Afghanistan war areas.
5: Well, I could just speak briefly on that um because, you know, I'm a <laughs> I'm on the front line. I'm not in the um the I'm not on the uh, hmm, design side. Yeah. but this is what This is what we were told is that after two years, and and this May, um, 11th May, the two-year anniversary for us, that um, we are obligated to go back before Congress and to share, you know, the program and how we've been doing, and one of the hopes is that we will receive approval to start to roll it out to other era veterans, so this is what I'm being told. Um, I'm not sure exactly when that is going to happen, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I think that ultimately, when the program was designed, we, you know, we had to acknowledge that this program could truly benefit many era veterans and the caregivers that are caring for them, and that. So, I'm hoping that we do get approval to start to spread it to other era veterans, so that we can, you know, start to. Um, support those other veterans through the services that the primary family caregivers are receiving. Because mm-hmm. remember, there's only two distinctions, and though there's only two, I do acknowledge they are significant, um, but there's really only one. That's the stipend, because even a general caregiver can get support mental health-wise through our community veteran centers, um, but the veteran must consent to that. But even a general caregiver can get mental health services through our veteran centers mm-hmm. if the veteran consents to that. So it's really the stipend and the access to be reimbursed directly for travel and benefit, mm-hmm. for travel and lodging. Um, but, yes, I will acknowledge that that stipend can truly make a difference because one of the sacrifices that our caregivers make is the financial sacrifice, not being able to work or not being able to work full-time to care for the veterans. Um but, you know, this program, though the general caregiver at the moment cannot get access to that, we still have support services for all caregivers, the ways to, stress, to address stress and burden. So, for example, one of the things that we do here at the Washington, D.C. VA is that we have a, a community provider that pays every month for five to six caregivers to have a spa day mm-hmm. at a salon, manicures, pedicures, hair, massages sometime and so those only five or six I'm so grateful for that and so that's something that we do we have access we make sure they have access to we have organizations who pay for certain types of um sporting events outings activities you know we we try to do a lot of things and i include all caregivers in that so that um you know um they can all feel supporting and get a break. We, you know, I would love to do a lot more of that on a larger scale, um, but it takes time. It takes resources, obviously, mm-hmm. and so, um, so yes, that is the goal that I'm being told. Bill is that that we are hoping that we will be able to start to with Congress's approval and a plan to provide the other services to all caregivers
2: yeah uh also anita uh, uh kind of segueing uh, uh, away a little bit from that is uh how much uh coordination uh, is uh, the program at the DC Medical Center involved with uh, coordinating with uh, the uh, the states and, and, and local areas, and, and and this is I think something that's it's probably of interest all around the country because there are state programs and there are county programs. For an example, uh, in Maryland. There's a program that's, uh, operated out of the, uh, uh, Health and Mental Hygiene Department of Maryland. It's called Maryland's Commitments to, to Veterans, where they're trying to, uh, fill those gap areas in a lot of the things that we're talking about right now at the, uh, at the uh, state and, uh, and county level, but at the same time working along with the VA, uh, through the, um uh, the uh, the hospital and and I guess m- many of these services are taking place in the remote and re- rural areas in what is called the catchment areas I think that 's the term that the v a uses for those outlining areas beyond the uh, the, the hospital
5: um, so you know those that 's the kind of information we um like to have. We really need that kind of information. Um, you know for d c washington, d c um, do the caregiver institute um, will provide if the criteria is met two hundred dollars a month to a caregiver caring for a veteran, but they have it goes through the office on aging. So one of the criteria is that the veteran has to be you know someone who's considered a senior. Um, so you know there's two hundred dollars that that caregiver can receive. Um, And that $200 can make a huge difference for someone who's in their 70s or even 80s. We have 80- and 90-year-old caregivers um, to help with transportation, medication, all the like. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's still taking some time to kind of get through to all of the little nooks and crannies in the community. But, you know, as coordinators, those are just valuable resources to us because, you know, the more access to information we have to support the caregivers, the better. And we, and we, and those types of programs help supplement what we can provide. So, Bill, I mean, I didn't even know about that from Maryland and I've already written it down and I'm going to Google and, and I would love to be able to connect with someone to learn more and share what we're doing here because these are the kind of things that we really need to support from the community to make sure that we can do as much as we can for the caregivers.
2: Well, Anita, in preparation for the next show, uh, I'm going to work with you and make some introductions to to folks uh, in the immediate area and beyond the immediate area because we want this uh this kind of information to be out there so that folks in uh, any part of the country can know that these services exist and also that there's coordinated efforts and partnerships there available with the state and local folks so uh you and I will be working on that and uh, I'll make some introductions and uh, that'll be uh preparation for the next show Gary
5: Okay, right. I really appreciate that. Plus, I like working with you, Mr. Forbes.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, it's same here. <laughs> <laughs> All
4: right. Well, again, we're coming to a close. We have about a minute and a half, but uh, what I'd like to do is thank our special guest, caregiver support coordinator, Anita Mingo. Once again, Anita, where can our listeners go for their answers to questions?
5: Um, well, there's two ways. Linda was so generous to share our website, which is www dot caregiver dot va dot gov, which is G-O-V, or you can call the caregiver support hotline at 585-393-8015. I'll give that number again. It's 585-393-8015. You can also go to the local social work department at the VA where you're receiving health care or would receive health care, and they can connect you with the the caregiver support coordinator through that way as well.
4: All right, well, I want to thank you, Anita. Linda, any closing remarks?
0: Uh, Just to mention that in addition to your caregiver support coordinator at each of the VAs, there's often a secondary one. And so in terms of workload and getting responses, you may wish to ask if there is a secondary person need a more uh, rapid response to a question.
2: All right. Bill, any closing remarks? I'd just like to thank Anita and uh, Linda for being with us uh, again And uh, I will be working with uh, Anita and uh, Linda if necessary, and uh, we look forward to the next show on such a very important subject. Yes, it is.
4: This is Gary Ray along with Linda Crater and Mr. Bill Forbes signing off, and thank you for listening to the American Heroes Network powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.
3: Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and Ted Griffin Jr. again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America and we truly do believe You're the backbone of our nation Thanks to you we're living free We're a quilted man